1: newspaper since
0: 1971. Before we get to our distinguished guest, I want to remind everybody, First Tuesday returns October 3rd, Tuesday, October 3rd, 7 p.m. in Uptown at Haymarket House. 46 Ward Alderman Angela Clay will be joining us. We'll be talking about the future of Uptown. We'll be talking about how to deal with... Thousands of migrants coming to the city of Chicago. Where are we as a city? Politics, immigration law, everything will be on uh, the table at night for discussion. Haymarket House, Tuesday, October 3rd, 7 p.m. Be there or be square, to use an old line from the 70s. All right, bonus time to the Ben Jarofsky show. Let's get down to business. Uh, I have a distinguished guest waiting to come on, and I happen to waiting for this conversation for about a week. I've been preparing for this conversation for about a week. I don't think that we're going to be able to contain, get all the questions I have, all the discourse I have uh, about what's going on in the city of Chicago right now, what's known as, what is it they call it The crisis, the immigration crisis, the asylum seeker crisis. It's a crisis as opposed to an opportunity. Chicagoans, you're so weird. I don't understand you. I'll never understand you. Freaking city lost. How many thousands of people over the last 20 years? Now people are coming here by buses. They want to be here. And you call this a crisis? You call this a bad thing? Come on, Chicago, look in the mirror. When Amazon wanted to come here, that wasn't a crisis. That was like 5,000 yuppies coming to Chicago. It was like, oh, my God, a miracle. Please, we'll spend whatever amount of money it takes to get them here. We'll give them the best land in the city. Whatever it takes. We're not even going to tell you what's in the contract. Don't ask. We're not going to tell you because Amazon has asked us not to to confide in any way what you, the people of the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois, are offering them. No. It was like, shut up and take whatever deal Mayor Rahm and Governor Rahm, remember those two? We're going to give Amazon. That was an opportunity. This is a crisis. We're scared. We're not going to get a fetal position. Freaking weird city, man. We're like We're the monsters of the midway. We're tough. We're Chicagoans, you know. But what? A couple of bus loads, like 14,000 people. You're under a table now, in Chicago. Give me a break. That's not the monsters of the midway. That's like the Bears who lost to Green Bay. All right, I'm going to stop now because I could go on and on. My distinguished guest is going, Ben, you're just getting too red in the face, and <laughs> freaking out. <laughs> I've been waiting for this conversation. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm Alderperson Andre Vasquez of the 40th Ward, uh, co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, vice-chair of the Latino Caucus. I yes,
0: and what else? And what committee and are chair you-
1: chair of the Committee on Immigrant and Refugee Rights.
0: That is the key right there, among other things. And before we get this, uh, uh, get going, I want to give a shout-out to my dear friend, former partner in crime, Mick Dumkey. So it was about, I forget, uh, Andre, how long ago. It was like six months ago, Mick. I can't remember. He did a story about- your committee not it wasn't your committee at the time but if we want to realize what a joke chicago is in terms of just like thinking strategically you know about like where we are now and what's coming down the road and how we what we may do to prepare for the future just take a look at the mick Dumke's article i think it was for pro It wasn't black club he's with black club now but take a look at that your committee Not your with you as a chair, but the previous chair didn't even have a freaking meeting. The buses were coming in from Texas, Andre. Not even a meeting. They created this meaningless committee to give a Alderman a bunch of jobs, you know. And then no. (laughs) I'm sorry, man, Andre. I I just I've lived in this city since 1981, and sometimes I just shake my head at, at just how clueless we are. So help me out. We'll just get started. Things have changed uh, since you've taken over. Talk about what you would like your committee to do to be sort of like, I don't know, an overseer, somebody that's like looking over the entire program of dealing with immigration and uh, demographic changes in the city. So start there.
1: Uh, the mayor, Mayor Johnson had reached out to me about being the chair of this committee um, I kind of had a feeling of the challenges we were going to see coming, but, um, you know, it wasn't to the scale that we're seeing now. But I believe overall, when you think about what a committee is, because I think some, a lot of Chicagoans don't really know what a committee does in comparison to everything else in government. Uh, a committee is separate from a department and separate from the administration in that what it really does is it allows for transparency, accountability and hearings based on different subject matters. And so right now, when we're looking at the moment we find ourselves in, it's a good opportunity to, to be um, the committee that then allows for more transparency in what's happening as far as decision making and the current status we're in, as well as establishing the accountability I think is necessary so people understand what their government's decisions are uh, in the in the time we find ourselves.
0: Well, accountability is the key word. Uh, so uh, in the past, as I pointed out, uh, committees have been uh, – Chaired by allies of the mayor, and their central job was either to bury information uh, that might be embarrassing to the mayor, or to transform uh, reality so uh, it would make the mayor look good, whether he or she was good or not. Uh, and in the case of you know, the committee you now chair, it was chaired. It was essentially set up to do nothing, uh, and it did nothing. And um, so, one thing that's already different. I got to give you a shout out that you have a portal that people can go to uh, for updates on the number of immigrants who are coming in uh, to our city and the number of immigrants who are in shelter and what countries they come from, et cetera, and so forth. So just in terms of raw data, Mick and I were talking about this the other day. I got to give you a shout out for just putting that out. That's just that basic information, uh, which you can't strategize for the future, Andre, without essential information.
1: And, uh, yeah. I mean, I believe that to be the case. I think also, It's easier to make the case to people of what what you have to do if they understand the scale of what we're talking about. And so I think uh, to your point uh, in the prior administration, some of the committees might have been viewed as more defense and how much information they're not sharing. Whereas um, we looked at it and because we were starting to get some information from the administration as they're working on their official dashboard, we knew let's get this stuff online already because people are going to have these questions of us, which led to um, the website we just put up, welcome to Chicago.org. So people get a sense of, like, you know, how many people we're talking that are out here in town that are at shelters, that are staying at the police stations, um, so you really get a sense of the scale of what we're talking about.
0: All right, let's break it down. Uh, so first of all, Garda World contract, we're going to get into that, but I'm going to hold off. We've talked a lot about that in the show, the $29 million uh, contract that the city signed with some outfit. I think it's based in Virginia. I call them the DeSantis cronies because they're also being paid uh, to bus immigrants <laughs> out of Florida. Uh, there. So they're getting money both ends of this playing this game. Uh, and there's a lot of lefties uh, are very upset by that uh, contract. Uh, so before we get to that, let's just get some basic information uh, that is just so important to understand about where we uh, where we are right now. So we, we hear in the newspaper that uh, every week busloads of new immigrants arrive from Texas, uh, sent to Chicago vis-a-vis from uh, by Governor Abbott of Texas. Uh, and, uh, so I need to know just basically roughly how many of the new immigrants in Chicago, do, if you know this, how many of the new immigrants in Chicago are people on those buses, as opposed to people who just show up here on their own.
1: So the, the majority are right. Um, most people are here cause they're coming either from Florida, a border state or other states that are, that are busing them. Um, I mean, I, I don't quote me on it, but I'd guess over 90% of what you're seeing is coming in bust in, right? So right now Ballpark, you're talking over 14,000 people have come since to be, you know, about a year ago when this all began. Um, I think I think we're close to 7,000 8,000 at shelters that have been propped up since uh, there's about 18 shelters currently across town. Out of that about 3,000 are minors and then in addition to that you got another close to 2,000 people that are staying at the police stations or at O'Hare. Uh, and, and you said it right. Every every week, actually every day, we're seeing busloads of people. So it went from, you know, you're getting a bus of 40 people at the beginning to now you're getting a bus of 100 to now we're seeing multiple buses of like, you know, hundreds at this point coming day by day, you know, like about 200 average. We're seeing that. So it's, it's picking up and I anticipate it's going to continue to scale up as you're heading towards the Democratic Convention being here next August.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and uh, how many did you say uh, were in uh, uh, police stations or at O'Hare? I just couldn't get that number. It's close, close to 2,000. 2,000, gotcha. And so the challenge right now, the immediate challenge uh, for the uh, Johnson administration for the city of Chicago is to uh, get people out of police stations and out of O'Hare at 2,000 or so and get them into some kind of different shelter. Am I correct on that?
1: Yeah, with, with the thinking as well, That because you're seeing an influx, it may be 2,000 now, but if they keep coming, it's just going to be a a much larger scale even at that point.
0: Got it. Okay. Uh, So um, of those immigrants uh, that are being uh, bussed in from Texas by Governor Abbott, how many, roughly, are Venezuelan?
1: Uh, I mean, you're looking, I would guess like 80 to 90 percent, Wow, like the majority of what we're seeing. Right. Those those fluctuate. I mean, we're seeing other folks from Central America as well. Guatemala as well. We see some Haitians. We've seen, you know, folks from all around starting to come. But um, the the majority has been from Venezuela.
0: All right. And so this is a question. uh, That I've not seen answered anywhere. Why is it that Texas is busing so many Venezuelans? I mean, there's a lot of people coming into the border from all over the world. Ukraine. Haitians, Cubans, uh, Ecuadorians, Colombians. Why is it that great preponderance are Venezuelan?
1: I mean, I think I think part of it is is timing. And what I mean by that is like the U.S. has destabilized governments all over South and Central America. So you've seen waves of, you know, there's a wave of Guatemalans that came not so long ago. Um, So I think part of it is that um, I, I do think that and I'm trying my best to be fair. If you're one of those border states, you're probably seeing that influx on your end and figuring out how you're dealing with that level of congestion. Um, but I think when you're going from Texas, for example, and bussing people all the way to Chicago, it ain't just because you need help in, in decompressing. It's because it's a political attack aimed at what we know to be um, a sanctuary city in a blue state.
0: Well, my guess and help me with this. Is that it? They're bussing. They're, it's not a conscious decision like they're going to bust Venezuelans as opposed to Cubans. It's that's who's there to be bussed. So the people available for Abbott to put on a bus happen to be from Venezuela.
1: Am I yeah, correct? I mean, in that? I, I think so. Uh, yeah. And also, the, you know, they're making the case to people that, like, you know, Chicago is, is ready and waiting. You guys are going to get everything you want in Chicago. And so I think they're conning people. Um, to actually fill up those buses and get them here, and so I do think that there are clearly waves coming to the country. They're they're being able to find some success, the Texans, I should say, or Governor Abbott, in getting the the, the large swath of those folks and bringing them, sending them over here.
0: So my understanding uh, that the Venezuelans who are being put on those buses and sent to Chicago are here, like quote unquote, legit. In other words, they're part of it, uh, the system. They're already applied uh, to be a resident of the United States. Uh, and uh, it's not like people who have come illegally. I have these in quotes, you know, uh, who've uh, across the river. Well, yeah, Go ahead.
1: I mean, I think that's what's complicated about the whole conversation is who US, the U.S. decides is here legally and not. Right. Like, you know, when, when it was the Polish, the, the Italians, they were getting high fives on Ellis Island and, and got it moving. Right. But I think I think clearly um, those in power in the federal government, however they view it, pick and choose what the path looks like. So the folks who are Venezuelan here actually are the ones coming to the border. But when they get here, they seek asylum, which legitimizes their path. Now, that's separate from folks who have like come and, and gotten like some people, you know, visas and everything else. So there's different levels of what legal looks like. And the reason why that's important is as uh, President Biden is granting temporary protected status, to those who are seeking asylum from Venezuela, there are plenty of people in Chicago that have been here for years undocumented that also want that status but haven't received it, which I believe is going to lead to further tension.
0: What do you mean by that? Further tension between who?
1: Meaning if you were uh, uh, an undocumented immigrant who's lived in Chicago five, 10 years waiting to get citizenship, waiting to get work authorization, and you see all the new arrivals that just got here being granted that by the administration, There's going to be a tension there saying, hey, look, I thought I did it legitimately. Meanwhile, these folks just came in through the border and seeking asylum. And now they're granted this. And we've been asking for this for years that I think it's going to cause further potential division than if you just said, you know what, we're going to grant blanket temporary protect status to not only the newest arrivals, but folks that have been here looking for
0: it. Yeah. Well, I think so much of this is tied up to the foreign foreign relations having stuff that has nothing to do with the city of Chicago, stuff that people in the city of Chicago are completely unaware of, for the most part. They, they, you can't even get someone in Chicago to understand what a tiff is, so let alone to get them understand how foreign policy works. The deals between the United States and Venezuela, the you know the way the United States have been kind of at at war with Venezuela for how many years now, going back to Chavez days in the nineties, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and well, so, and you can go go
1: back to, to the 70s and 80s when you're talking about central and south america right to see where the us could try to get profit there so i think i think that plus the history of immigration as it pertains to the us are, are just things that we don't all have the knowledge of and as somebody who this wasn't my lane prior to becoming the chair of the committee now i'm i'm doing all the homework and seeing why the framing of how we talk about this stuff causes more division rather than a greater understanding of like what this nation is
0: mm-hmm. So in terms of Venezuela, it's pretty obvious that so much of the uh, immigration is caused by uh, the impact, the economic impact of sanctions that the United States has employed against Venezuela. So, th- again, we are being affected in the city of Chicago by foreign policy decisions that in this case go back for years, accelerate under Trump, and now Biden has uh, continued them. Uh, is- yeah, no,
1: I'll, I'll, add to, I'll add to that. That it's only going to continue one direction because we also have to take into account climate change. Right. So as different places are harder and harder to live in, Chicago in the Midwest starts looking a lot more accommodating. We have large bodies of water. Right. We're not on a a coast. And so you're going to see immigration moving in a direction which is going to necessitate that we have the infrastructure to be a sanctuary and welcoming city.
0: Okay, Uh, And uh, you just saying that. Have, have It's going to force me to move this question further up, uh, the, further up closer to where I am right now. I was going to hold back on this. Um, so Chicago has some advantages. You know, we hear so much about the disadvantages of Chicago. So much of the talk is about crime in Chicago. So much of the talk is about like when one rich guy leaves Chicago, Cranes and the Tribune go crazy. Oh my God, Ken Griffin moved out of Chicago. What's the impact on him? Who cares? <laughs> God damn, come on, Cranes, get your head in the game. But uh like, we also opportunity. Just say like climate change. It's like. I've heard people say like five years ago, more people could coming to Chicago, Ben. You watch because of climate change because it's going to become so unbearable uh, around the, uh, the world and particularly in the South. They're going to come to Chicago. Why is Chicago incapable, Andre, of seeing this influx of immigrants as an opportunity? I do not understand the psychology of Chicago on this issue. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 pretty historic in Chicago, right? If you're a segregated city since its inception, you're more likely to view things as a net gain or a net loss based on where your situation is, right? So to your point, when you started out uh, mentioning what an influx and a great thing, we're going to have more population coming in, right? These are are folks who are going to be taxpayers and increase the tax base. Yes, that is true. And also you have to talk about what population we've been losing in all this time, which is a Black population in the community, because We have disinvested and marginalized that part of town historically, and we're working to invest to turn that around. But when you've got that kind of fracture, right, this kind of pressure from more population coming in without systems in place opens those fractures up, reopens wounds that we've been trying to heal for for generations at this point.
0: Well, I got to... Say we've done a pretty crummy job at healing, uh, tr- even trying. I wanna, I'm i not even sure. I'm going to push back. I don't even think Chicago's ever tried to uh, heal those wounds. I think from what I've seen in the city of Chicago since the great Harold Washington died is to exacerbate those wounds to benefit the political uh, powers that be. Mayor Daly created something called HDO, which is before your time. I don't expect you to know who they are, but essentially uh, – those were his uh, hacks who in their whole p- basic job was to like promote divisions between blacks and Hispanics uh, and just play those communities off against each other. And they succeeded in my humble opinion, they succeeded. Go ahead.
1: I, I appreciate that. Cause I think, I think when I say we, those aren't the folks I'm thinking about, right. <laughs> I'm thinking about like, like the movement folks who've been trying their best to, to bring solidarity through like our democratic socialists, our progressives. And so I think, I think you're right. I think, if you, if you were to look at like, you know, the dailies you look at at Lightfoot, you look at ROM, I would not say uh, they were, you know, I, I'll give Lightfoot credit for Invest Southwest as in trying to move in that direction to her perspective on it. But I think right now we have the most progressive mayor the city has seen since Harold Washington and an opportunity to really change course and look at how we're framing these things. And I think that's a good opportunity for us.
0: All right. I just, I'll tell you this. This example, this popped in my head while you were riffing. There was a, an alderman from the 25th Ward for many years. He was the zoning chair. His name was Danny Solis. I known Danny since the 80s. That's how old I am, Andre. And I remember one time, right before it became no, it was either right before or right after he became alderman, he went on this riff with me. And it was like, my eyes open. He goes, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, but he was like, I'm sick and tired of hearing black people talk about 400 years of racism. And uh, you know, let's just get real. I'm like, where is this coming from? <laughs> and shortly thereafter, or this was right after he cut his deal with Daly, got appointed to be alderman, worked his way up the ranks. And it's like that. It's like, listen to him. I was like pre-maga, maga. You know, stop complaining about slavery already. Get together, get in line. My people have done it. Why can't your people do it? You get what I'm saying, Andre? It's like I hear that a lot. For, go ahead.
1: Well, it's, it's it's horrible and it's false. Right. I mean, we all have different challenges and different struggles. Uh, it isn't arguable that the black community in this city and in this country has gotten it worse than anyone. Right. So they, you got three you've got three groups as it pertains to like this migration conversation. When you talk about the country, you've got your indigenous populations that had land stolen from them. You've got your descendants of slavery who were forced, kidnapped and brought here. And then everyone else is immigrants or from immigrants. And so I think we have to have an acknowledgement that it is a different experience. If you're a a black person, a descendant of slavery, you have every right to feel the way you do. I think we need a larger conversation about how we all can win in this thing. But when when I go to like the fifth ward or the 21st ward and you're hearing that kind of frustration of a community that hasn't been invested in that has never felt that kind of support and they're watching this happen, we've got to acknowledge that and say that is absolutely real we have to figure out a way that 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 community also benefits and we create systems that actually solve for all.
0: All right. I'm glad you mentioned uh, the fifth and the 21st ward. And uh, so I've been talking a lot about on the show about how when uh, Desmond Yancey, the fifth ward went to the promontory there were like 200 people screaming and yelling at him, not in our neighborhood. Some of them were like speaking up straight up MAGA. So that similar thing happened to Ronnie Mosley. And then you pointed out to me, and I guess in, I, I got to give you credit. You, you were there. You are so automatic. I don't know if Pat O'Connor ever went to the Fifth Ward. That's his predecessor in the 40th Ward, Patrick O'Connor. Uh, and um, <laughs> so the notion of a 40th Ward alderman going to the south side in Chicago, this very tribal city where like, you like you got your little corner and don't leave your little corner uh, is is already an improvement now my well,
1: i mean i appreciate that i think yeah. a lot of it is just, i mean you know my history just coming up as like a rapper like necessitated me being all parts of town and if you're gonna if i'm gonna be the chair of this committee knowing that we're talking about shelters all across town like i want to be on the ground to, to not only hear but feel what that's like on the ground because you have to be informed by that when you're talking about solutions and making the case to the whole public and the whole city
0: all right well here's the what I feel, the, the administration dropped uh, the ball, so to speak, in that fifth ward and 21st ward meeting. I do not understand why the administration was not there to make the compelling case that the black community of Chicago can benefit from this, either with a jobs program, a buildings program, an economic development program. We are going to use our money uh, to uh, put you to work building this housing. And then we're going to be uh, bugging, Joe Biden, uh, President Biden, to kick in more money to continue this economic development. I do not know why we can never seem able to reach out to the black community and say we are going to use our economic investment dollars to help your community for once instead of using them to move you out of Chicago, which has been the pattern for the last 30 years. I don't understand why we can't seem to make
1: that leap,
0: Andre. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah,
1: no, I mean, I I think I think. There's a couple of things there. I think one, you've got a new administration trying to get a handle on all of government, and we're—they've only been in office now four months, and I think it doesn't feel like four months, but four months is can be a long time, it can be an incredibly short time. But the other part of this is that it's not like the black community hasn't heard it before. There's been administrations saying this over and over and over again, but not delivering the goods. So at some point, you get um, just completely tired of hearing it, and so I think I think there's a real dynamic there that we've got to. Like to your point, make that case. But if you're not showing your work, that's going to be a problem no matter what. Yeah,
0: I feel the other. I agree. I feel the other ones really didn't even make attempt. Like think about uh, South by. Uh, what was the name of it? Invest? I was Best Southwest. Yeah, it's all it is is a marketing program. Why should I even memorize the the economic development kitty in Chicago is the TIF program. That's it. That's the game. You know that as well as I do. A billion dollars a year in property taxes, a surcharge. We all pay more property taxes to feed the t- TIF kitty. That program is structured in such a way most of the money goes to upscale, already gentrifying communities on the s- near west, near south, and north side of Chicago. So Invest by Southwest it was, was a joke. If you're not going to change the TIF program, it's a freaking joke. It's a, it's well, a marketing I think, scheme. I, Go.
1: I think you're right because that map, on those tips right they generate within a map and if that map is already affluent it generates more funds than one that's been marginalized you just don't get more money um but i do know that there are conversations and have been uh with this administration to figure out what are different ways to look at capital plans that don't rely on tips and as we're seeing a lot of tips are actually expiring there's an opportunity for that conversation to happen and so um it is but i also know like you know Everyone's got a right to feel impatient knowing the speed with, go- with which government works. But we do; uh, those conversations are happening.
0: Well, I'll just say this. They just poured in $100 million in TIF money. This, this was covered by the Tribune. Shout out the Tribune. They broke the story, and it was completely buried into the Lincoln Yards TIF. That has happened within the last year. Nobody, nobody seems to know how it happened, who directed it. All I know is they moved. So you talk about the map of a TIF. You're absolutely correct. It's, the money is supposed to be generated in a, uh, to be spent within that district, but they don't have enough money to meet their needs. They move money in. So if you move money into Lincoln Yards, you can move money into South Shore. You can move money in uh, to Woodlawn. You can move money into Englewood. You know what I'm saying? They always seem to come up with an excuse for not moving the money into Englewood, Woodlawn, but they always seem to be able to move it into Lincoln Yards. And that, I think, really gets at why people are frustrated because it seems like I said it's all about moving black people out of the city of Chicago uh, and <laughs> pretending otherwise. Your thoughts?
1: Well, and I think I think that feeling, right? If you if you take that lens and that feeling, and then you put this. Migrant influx on top of it You start understanding why The pressures are different, the variables are different It becomes a little more complicated than it might appear
0: Yeah Uh, And uh, so Do you think there's uh, Any Sign that uh, The city is Trying to use, going to switch And and actively uh, Use the housing program uh, That they're going to be developing And um, to take care of the new uh immigrants in a way that will like help black communities will help homeless people etc go ahead who already live in Chicago. Yeah, that's the case go
1: ahead. yeah that, I mean that's the case I and others have been making right that that like a path forward is to acquire and rehab properties rehab property city already owns use some of the funding that we're getting to acquire properties and that way you build up a shelter structure that the city hasn't had right even prior to the new arrivals, I think the latest count showed anywhere close to 68,000 people are unhoused or or, or, or near unhoused in the city before you get to new arrivals. And we don't have that shelter system built up. So I think by by acquiring the properties, you're able to get, in effect, distribution points in different locations across town. And then you've got to develop a system that would be, you know, I call it shelter for all, all, where it it doesn't matter who you are. You come in through the front door because you need shelter. We'll figure that out and then connect you with the systems of support that are necessary that I think is the opportunity we have now in this moment to build that out and rebuild Chicago in a way that houses more uh, folks that need it.
0: Now uh, you have been uh, sort of at the forefront of this and I've seen your quotes in a newspaper where you've been urging mayor Johnson uh, to do more rehab, (laughs) definitely not do a tent city, do more housing rehab. How has he responded to you uh, in your comments and your suggestions that he go?
1: Yeah. I mean, so when I, when I've talked to the administration, um, I've been getting more answers in regard to like, what are we doing now? We still need more answers. Meaning if you looked at all the buildings, like some of this stuff should be spreadsheets. Where's the documentation on all the buildings you've looked at, what the costs are. So we've still, we've been asking for a couple months and we're still waiting for those answers. But I think something that I've got a greater appreciation for um, just this past week is an understanding of the capacity the new administration has in trying to solve all this at once. Meaning they're looking at buildings. They've got to assess them. How many people do they have available to do those assessments? And so I think that we need to figure out how we can amplify that capacity and look at the state contracts and say, can we piggyback off of some of those to increase the capacity of how we look at the buildings, how we look at who's selling buildings, what's available as far as space? Um, it, it's Again, I have a greater appreciation for how challenging it is when you're a new team coming in, figuring out, like, well, who do we all have to start getting this going? I think that's some of the challenge and that's what I've been seeing in like more recent conversations with the administration.
0: All right, and to that point, uh, we get now we get to um, uh, the Garter World contract, $29 million to build a tent city. Uh, and when I, I have to, okay, so let me just back up. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm not an elected official. I'm a guy, a podcaster uh, in my attic. I am a columnist. I, c- I have free to say what I whatever I want, knowing that in the mor- when I wake up the next day, I don't have to do the work. It's going to be on uh, <laughs> Andre Vasquez, Brandon John. I admit that, okay? I'm no different than a Bears fan waking up on Monday morning to complain about how god-awful the Bears are, and they should dra- have drafted different players. I understand that. That said, <laughs> I was so... I just I can't even explain how upset I was by that revelation that we're kicking out twenty nine million to Garda World. It's just like it's like every bad thing that Rom ever did coming back to life. And instead of putting the money into Chicago, you give it to some consultant who doesn't live in Chicago. Instead of putting Chicago people to work to build something, you give it Lord knows who the people are that are going to build this something. Instead of, like, meeting our current needs, which is to rehab buildings, we put up a tent city. We don't even know if those tents will be, will be workable. Uh, in the winter, it just seems like something Rom would have cooked up absent the PR campaign. If Rom had come up, this, he'd be having press conferences, p- p- pounding himself on the p- back and the Tribune and the, and the, and the cranes and the Sun Times go, that's our mayor. What a dynamo he is. Uh, and so Mayor Johnson doesn't do that. He doesn't play that game. Uh, so he doesn't, he he just has the worst of both worlds. He gets blamed and he doesn't do it, get any promotion, uh, out of it. And I know my fellow lefties have been really torn by this, uh, Andre. And, uh, I got, uh, the newsletter from your colleague, Maria Haddon. Uh, and I, I've listened to this. Um, I'll read to you this, what she wrote in her newsletter. And I can sense the agony of a lot of lefties who go, Ben, You're being too critical, Mayor Johnson and the administration, and stop being critical because they're in a really tough situation. And, you know, you have to be nicer. Here's what she wrote. Uh, Yesterday, it was announced that the mayor had signed a $29 million contract with Garda World, a global security company, to to do this work with the— With the announcement came a lot of news about Garter World's history and questionable practices. To be clear, city council was not consulted uh, in this decision and does not have voting power on it. Please note that I'm seeking more information about this contract and the company. I would also like to hear your questions and thoughts. In other words, really bending over backwards (laughs) to be nice to the administration and recognize that they're in a tough predicament. Uh, your thoughts about being nice to the administration, holding back on being critical of the administration, you know, trying to be patient with the administration and at the same time, guard the world. Are you kidding me?
1: Go ahead. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that lead in there. So I think, uh, I think a couple of things, right. I, I think what you're hearing or, or what I'm hearing from that, which, which is fair is, Hey, I'm just kind of finding out right now. And, I didn't vote on that. It's kind of like the take that we're hearing, right? Um, I, think, I think people are trying to figure it out. I think the alders are trying to figure it out. And I think it speaks to the fact that when somebody's trying to build a pl- plane as you're flying it, if you don't do the due diligence to communicate what resources you're exhausting and what decisions you're making, you end up in situations like this, right? So for example, I'm the chair of the committee. Um, I found out from the mutual aid groups on the ground the day before the story broke. And I I would say... They're going to come calling me first. So it probably makes sense to have the conversation about what the decision is. And just, you know, prior to that story breaking, we had gotten the, um, you know, the briefings about the tent strategy, I think like two weeks ago, right? It could have been communicated to us at that point. It was not. And so I think that for for what I, I don't, I don't believe it was nefarious. I don't believe there was bad intent. I believe people were running at 90 miles an hour trying to make decisions and didn't think about getting the word out. I think that um, government is challenging because when you're in, when you're outside looking in, you're like, get this done tomorrow. When you're the person in the room, you've got to take into account everybody. And if you don't do that, you make quick decisions, but you may not hear everybody's perspective on it. And so I think that that's what appears to me is, is what's happening here, that the administration could look at the situation and say, look, we're getting more and more buses coming in. We already have 2000 people. We're trying to get more buildings online but we're limited in our capacity and speed and able to do so so here's what we're looking at doing I think you can make that reasonable case you can say that to people and I think not everyone will agree with it but people can understand it I think the part that I think I'm challenged by is when you know that you're going to do this and you find out guard a world's your option let's say you're saying hey none of the players that do these tents are good players we have to make a decision okay but then when you find out these are folks that also bus migrants that in Canada detain migrants that are, 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 you know, when you say military grade, it ain't just like the fabric. It's like, this is what we're talking about that we're, we're doing business with. And it's $29 million. I think you should know that there's a lot of questions that are going to be asked. And so if you haven't had the conversation with the alders, we're not going to be in position to know really how to speak when our constituents are asking. And so I think, I think that's where we're finding ourselves. And I think that part of what our committee is part of our mission is making sure there's a transparency and accountability necessary to have that. And I think because we find ourselves in this moment, it is challenging for the left, because if this was a Mayor Vallis, a Mayor Lightfoot or a Mayor Emanuel, we would be way more clear on what the response would look like, as opposed to when we've got our allies and we know to be the most progressive mayor since Sarah Washington in there. How do you have that conversation is a challenge, and I, so I think we're learning what that looks like. And I think where I'm, I'm particularly challenged is I'm in this space currently as a chair of identifying, hey, accountability is still accountability. You you may have a very legitimate case to make, and I believe I believe that none of this is again nefarious, but we still have to answer those questions. And, and I would say more so than than the conservatives would because people expect more out of us as progressives to be able to answer it. And so I think, I think you can make the case, because even right now, if you were to say to us, these are the only folks that can build these kind of structures, right? I'm still gonna ask, is it unionized labor, for example? Right? Or, okay, building it's one thing, but are we saying these same folks are gonna be staffing it? Because if they're the ones that have been detaining migrants, I don't feel comfortable with those folks staffing it, right? Again, all difficult conversations, difficult decisions, But I believe they're necessary conversations that we have to have and the public has to understand if we're going to move forward in a manner using their tax dollars to do so.
0: Absolutely. And uh, are you, by the way, you get the same kind of calls I'm getting uh, from uh, I call them lefties. You probably call them progressives who are going, hey, don't go hard. Don't go hard on Mayor Johnson. Go easier on Mayor Johnson. Come on now. Uh, You get those kinds of calls? No, I'll tell you
1: you that (laughs) in, in complete transparency, nobody is like. Hey, uh, you know, I think what people are saying is, you know, we've had to make these decisions and here's why. And I'm like, okay, now that I'm hearing more of that, it would have been great to hear that sooner. And now that we're hearing it now, the public's still going to be asking us. Right. And so I think that's kind of where I find myself. So to their credit, they're not saying, hey, we need to shush this thing. They're saying this is hard. How do we figure out next steps?
0: Well, and and to that point, I'll I'll just remind folks where we began this conversation. Uh, and that is uh, the utter worthlessness of the committee as it was run uh, before Andre took charge. Completely worthless. Didn't have a meeting. Go read the McDumkey article, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to know the real story. Uh, they didn't have meetings. It was a joke. Uh, Mayor life basically created the, the committee to give a plum uh, to Errol uh one of her all allies, classic Chicago politics. So here we are. We're like a year into uh, this, uh, the busloads coming in. And the city is finally coming face to face with, oh, we got to do something here. As opposed to Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, basically, let's let's be honest, Andre. As soon as she lost that election, she quit being mayor, and she was like, "I'm out of here. I'm gonna go teach at Harvard," uh, and uh, not it's working with uh, the incoming Brandon Johnson on this at all. And uh, so Brandon Johnson inherits busloads coming in, and he's still figuring out where the bathrooms are, and uh, there's not the. The city council's freaking worthless because the committee doesn't even meet. Uh, hello, Chicago. Great planning in the city of Chicago. Go ahead. Honor.
1: Well, I think so. I think also, you know, something that I, I can say from personal experience is the last administration didn't tell us anything about what was happening. Right. So I think and it wasn't at the same scale that we're seeing now that that now people understand that there's also a political component to the amount of, of folks that are being sent here. Like I was screaming that as soon as I started seeing the influx, I was like, the DNC's coming. This is only going to go in one direction, so we need to plan. And I think for me, sometimes I feel like the guy that just sees a train crash coming, and people are like, "Yeah, okay." I'm like, "I don't. I see it, guys." And so I think the more we're getting closer to it, the more we're having more people say it. And I, I will say to kind of how challenging it is for the left to figure out how to how to work through this last term, because the mayor was Lightfoot. Difficult decisions like budgets—they were ready to turn up on anybody they viewed as not being part of the team. And they were picketing and yelling and tweeting and everything. But now because the mayor is different, they're having a harder time figuring out, well, where do I land on this? How do I feel compared to who I know is there? And I-, I just think we're all in learning moments, right? It's one thing last time when we got elected the first time, we didn't have progressives from movement that were in city council. Now we've got larger numbers than a mayor. And so so what do you do when it's your job to execute on this thing? Knowing you don't have easy decisions. And by the way,
0: let me just put point this up before we move on to the next one. MAGA's worthless on this. Absolutely worthless on this. You gotta look for help for MAGA on this. They're just trying to do they for them, this is they, they see this as an opportunity. Absolutely. The, MAGA sees this as a, go ahead, Andre. You can
1: take Well a, it. a million percent, right? And so you so you see that ever since the, the runoff election, where Vallis, who said he wasn't a Republican but sure hangs out with him, all of a sudden you see that influx of like attacks coming from the right. And so I think that when you're uh, in the position that Mayor Johnson is in, where well, you're kind of in the middle of that, you're getting, you're getting hit from every angle, no matter what decision you're making. Again, none of them are easy. I think that what I hope is that we're learning from this situation because we're doing amazing things, right? We're passing one fair wage. Bring Chicago home is moving forward. Treatment, not trauma is moving forward. Department of Environments moving forward that we also look and say, There are going to be times where we have to be every bit as accountable and transparent in our decision making because it's not going to be as easy and because we're going to get hit from every angle.
0: Uh, no I, uh, I I hear you in that one and the, the, the epitome of it is like where uh it was federal dollars a federal grant to help uh with the relocation of uh the new immigrants and where all maga alderman voted against it <laughs>
1: it was federal money and uh, you know I thought it was I thought it was pretty hilarious because it was it was joined with other money like five million dollars to the police so I was like oh so you guys are voting against the police this time so I think they think that you know it, it is it is a very interesting time for the city um thankfully i i believe because of the ability for your neighbors to kind of tune in via social media podcasts and all of these like different content streams they're learning more about how their government works and doesn't work
0: yeah and uh, we're talking about you raylo uh Ottoman or my old friend raymond lopez and i here's a slick thing so when the venezuelan immigrants settle in chicago and uh, some of them become uh citizens you watch they're gonna be like all the other immigrants. They're gonna start getting conservative. Next thing you know, they'll be voting for Raylo. And <laughs> I'll be the one if I'm still around. I'll be running. Hey, all you new Raylo voters, he wanted to put you back on the bus and send you to Texas. So
1: I mean, that's that's the part that to me is is because of we need more a lot more organizing power to get that because it is absolutely the case that folks become more conservative once they get here because they identify with this kind of uh, American dream that they believe and and. The fact that there's such a fight between the right and left over folks that tend to skew right is like there'll be studies and books written about this thing and just watching it.
0: No, it's uh, it's real deep the way uh, it works, the mentality in this country. All right. Uh, we'll close with this and uh, the role of the feds. I Like I said, this is a huge topic. I could bring Andre on once a month to discuss it. Uh, it's there's so many uh, ramifications. Uh, and uh, ripple effects, etc., and so forth. And so, clearly, in my opinion, the federal government has to be quarterbacking this. This is a nationwide situation. Uh, we have people coming into the border, over the border. They want to to settle in the United States. It's a huge country. There's a lot of room. <laughs> they could settle. Do you know how empty North Dakota and South Dakota are? My goodness, you know like you're gonna you're
1: about to have me. You're about to have me talk for another hour because I think, as a democratic socialist and a Democrat, watching this party be so politically risk-averse now is going to lead to bad consequences later. Absolutely. If you don't take the risk, there's no reward, and if you keep trying to placate everyone, you're going to find out that your your conserv- conservative, conservative, moderate folks aren't really that into you, and you're going to lose the left that was going to help you propel over there. So if you see an abundance of enthusiasm in the Repu- Pro- Republican Party. And a lack thereof in the Democratic Party, you're going to get a coin toss like you just saw when it was Clinton-Trump. And I I don't think that people see, again, I don't think people see how it can play out. And I'll say absolutely the federal government, the president has a part to play. So does the state government. Uh, Elgin, Cicero, Berwyn, Aurora. These are all cities in a blue welcoming state that could also be helping take on some capacity. And you need a governor to actually coordinate that because just hearing it from your fellow city— Isn't going to get the ball rolling.
0: Well, that gets into the ethnic uh, divisions, you know, uh, and that that's a whole other show. I've had a lot of conversations uh, with my friends about this, this topic, like uh, Mexican-Americans attitude about Venezuelans and Cubans attitudes about. See, everybody thinks it's like a monolith in the Hispanic community. No, it's not. (laughs) People come from different countries, different political backgrounds. It's they're here for different reasons. Go ahead.
1: That, that's why I am a, a, a Sander socialist, my friend, because Bernie makes it pretty clear. You got two kinds of people, super rich and broke. Everybody <laughs> else that's broke. We're all part of that same club. Yeah. Right. And, and if yeah. you think you're upper middle class, you're still broke in comparison to the people who have all the real money. And if we don't have those conversations about that inequity and the division that we have like thrust upon us and we divide each other while everyone else is raking in the dough and the banks are still there and, and they don't have any kind of on their end. We're going to continue in this like cycle, and, and I think we have to do better. So, when you uh,
0: hear uh, uh, Mayor Adams in New York and the way he attacks the federal government? Uh, what's your thoughts about that in terms of like a strategy for dealing? Do you think?
1: Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I think. I think. Uh, I think the 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 energy or the volume, I should say, is right because that's how you get the federal government to pay attention. Now, the song ain't one I'd be singing, right? That's the thing that's different. You could say, hey, we need the federal government because you're leaving municipal governments to have to deal with something that we are not equipped nor have the capacity to do. And and this is why it's a problem. We can say that as a welcoming city, we can say that we need the funding. We need the coordination to build the structure to do that properly. What you don't do is say, oh, it's going to break our city and we need to shore up the borders or whatever narrative that is. Because that doesn't actually solve it. it. It sounds good for politicians to say to people when they feel afraid or angry, but it's not a solution. So, yeah, we can have the same volume to make sure that, that Biden hears it. But it's a whole different song.
0: Yeah. I, and I hope Biden hears it. Uh, and I know it was a first step uh, in terms of work permits, uh, the change he uh, implemented about a week ago. Uh, but uh, again, I think I, I'm with you, Andre. I think the Democratic Party as a whole uh, has to, to confront, uh, the immigration in a different way. Like we've been, the narrative has been set by Trump in 2015. That narrative is gaslit America. They view this as a problem. They, and, and I'm like,
1: I mean, the, the challenge though, the challenge I see is that the Republican party could teach a master class in the executive order and executive branch. Whereas when Democrats come in, they go, we're just trying to get along with everybody. Right, guys? Can we all figure this out together? Right. Trump came in and was like, we're just going to put out executive order after executive order and we're just going to flex. And I believe that if Democrats had that level of energy and execution with the goals and values we all have, then you're turning this country around. But we don't ever do that because we're so busy fighting amongst ourselves about, oh, well, you're too radical left. You're far left. It's like on the Republican side, you can tell them you believe that lizard people leave in pyramids. And they're like, great, that's door number two. Come <laughs> on in. Welcome to the team. Yeah. Whereas we just fight amongst ourselves so much that we don't get things going. Yeah,
0: that is definitely true. Fight among ourselves. That's the city of Chicago way. Fight among ourselves. All right, Andre, uh, thank you so much for coming in on a Sunday. I appreciate that. And uh, answering all my questions and listening to me rant and rave. Uh, and I'm probably going to be ranting and raving a lot on this one because... I just think it's the future of Chicago right here.
1: And yeah, 100- and I think there's going to be more conversations to be had, so feel free to let me know. I'm happy to come back on.
0: All right, uh, thank you very much. That's a great uh, Alderman, Andre Vasquez. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.